Gary Renard Podcast, Episode 25. Welcome to the Gary Renard Podcast. Your up close and personal connection to Gary Renard, best selling author of The Disappearance of the Universe, Your Immortal Reality, and the third upcoming book, Love Has Forgotten No One. And that is the way I actually say that. I'm Gene Bogart, podcast producer and Gary's co-host. I'll explain that comment in a moment and we'll also explain why the star of our show is in the Great White North as we record this. Because he's on the line coming live from Massachusetts as we record this podcast. It's the star of our show, Gary Renard. Hey, Frozen Buddy. Hey, how you doing? I'm a lot warmer than you are, apparently, because you've been telling me you're in Massachusetts right now. You can explain why and just what the weather is like for you right now. Mm. Well, actually, I'm in uh, western Massachusetts, and it's actually a really pretty place. Uh, you got, like, uh, you know, Stockbridge, Massachusetts, which is you know, one of those quaint Norman Rockwell-type towns. Be- beautiful. I was up there years ago. Gorgeous, like a postcard everywhere you look. Yeah, plus we have the Norman Rockwell Museum there, which I've been to, and mm-hmm. uh, Lennox here. But I'm actually at a place called Kripalu Yoga Center. And uh, Kripalu has been here for a long time, and they have all kinds of, mostly yoga classes, but they also, you know, once in a while, they let a spiritual guy like me speak in and try to teach spirituality. Uh-huh. You know? and tell people that they're not bodies and stuff, which means with great rebellion, but, <laughs> you know, at least, uh, you know, I, I, I get a chance, and... Uh, it was while I was trying to get here last night. I got here about 3 o'clock in the morning because uh, I left L.A., and it was 80 degrees yesterday in L.A. And then all of a sudden I find myself in Cincinnati, Ooh. you know, where I have to make my, uh, you know, my connecting flight. And uh, Cincinnati is, like, practically all shut down because they just had a, another blizzard. Uh, the weather's been yeah. horrendous out that way. I keep seeing it in the news, and, yeah, that's right in the heart of it. Yeah, and they, they had a nice storm through the Midwest, and there's still hundreds of thousands of people with no power. And I, it was a miracle that I made it through Cincinnati, but it wasn't easy because, you know, I'm supposed to leave from Terminal C, and then they said, well, you can't go to Terminal C because it's closed. And so they said, well, go to A, uh. and maybe we'll put you on a bus and take you to your plane out on the runway. <laughs> and uh, this is like an ice rink. And I, I was even wondering if it was wise to, you know, try to take off uh, from there. And uh, it was really kind of a, a wild day. And they would make us sit on the runway for hours at a time and give us fuel eventually. You know, it's like uh, they would say, oh, just any minute now, and, you know, hours would go by. And then even when I got to Albany, we couldn't get off the plane because there were no gates for us. It was like, uh, you know, just one of those comedies of errors that you get sometimes when you're traveling where you just sit there in, in the plane like a prisoner for hours. So you had to, you had to stop at, at uh, change at Albany as well as Cincinnati. Right. I actually uh, ended up in Albany. Then from there, uh, it's still an hour drive to uh, Kripalu. Oh, okay. I got it. And then all the uh, roads were like, uh, you know, like sheets of ice. So, so they come and, by with sled dogs now to bring you in there. That's just about it. Uh, you know, it's pretty. Like when daylight comes, it's pretty, and the snow looks pretty. But uh, you know, kind of like uh, that's kind of like frame. If you go by a course of miracles, you, you get the uh, ego's frame, and it looks pretty. <laughs> right. But if you look closer. You know, it's all uh, ice underneath the surface, and cars are crashing, and, you know, people are slipping and hurting themselves, and it's like, uh, you know, it's actually a dangerous uh, kind of situation right now. Yeah. And so even though it's pretty, and uh, I certainly remember uh, all the pretty snow days from Maine, and I also remember uh, the ice days. And, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I really don't miss the ice at all. I'm not, uh, you know, missing uh, scraping all this ice off of my windshields and trying to contend with walking down the sidewalk, you know, without uh, breaking my neck. You and I both, uh, we both grew up in the Northeast in different areas, so, uh, you know, we both know what those winter situations are like, and I don't think either of us missed that. In fact, you're you're not missing it at all right now, so. No, in fact, this is the first time I've seen snow in two years. Ah. Uh, And I'm still refusing to wear socks, even though I'm in Western (laughs) Massachusetts. I don't have any socks on. (laughs) I I haven't worn socks in two years, and I've committed to not wearing socks for the rest of my life, no matter where I go. So, uh, you know, at least I'm, you know, sticking to my principles. But I think it's a sign of intelligence that both you and I uh, live in warm places. Probably, yeah. Rather than being in the Northeast. Eventually we'll move to to Ecuador. some people... Uh, you know, granted, there are some people who like it. There, yeah. I mean, there are actually people who love cold weather. You know, they go ice fishing and they go out in their snowmobiles and skiing and all that stuff. And if that's what they like, then fine. I mean, you know, uh, that's what they should do. It's just that I do not happen to be 
a cold-blooded person, and I never quite understood why I was born in the Northeast, unless it was a challenge to eventually leave, you know, mm-hmm. go someplace warm. Well, to give you that perspective, you wouldn't have had that otherwise. That's true. And uh, the other thing is, you know, Maine was the perfect place for art in person to show up. I, I can't picture the events and the disappearance of the universe happening the way they did anyplace else. I think that, uh, you know, it was such a quiet and peaceful place and out of the way, and that's exactly what I needed at that time. Mm-hmm. Or else I don't think I would have really been able to integrate all of this. Uh, it just would have been too much for me to try to live the kind of hectic life that I was living in the Boston area. Right. Uh, yeah, I really needed a different lifestyle and a quiet and peaceful life for that, you know, period of years when I was in Maine. And probably that's and, that's why they showed up to you in Maine and not to me in Bo- in South Florida here in Boca, because, uh, you know, it just wouldn't work. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, it's like uh, eventually it swung around the other way, because after I knew them for about 10 years and the book was ready, mm-hmm. then my life started to go back in the other direction again, where it did start to get a little bit faster and a little bit faster. And today it's kind of like uh, crazy again. But the difference is, is you know, I've lived a, a hectic life before, but I didn't know how to forgive. Right. And uh, the result was a tremendous amount of stress and uh, worry. And, uh, yeah, there was the happy times, but there were, there were also a lot of unhappy times. And then this time when my life got really fast and hectic, as people will see, uh, mostly in the uh, second book, but a lot in the third book, too, which is really more personal than uh, any of the books that I've done because I reveal more of my personal life and personal forgiveness opportunities. Uh, and also, it doesn't just cover this lifetime, but it covers, uh, you know, Thaddeus and Thomas 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, the people who are art and person in this lifetime. And then, uh, again, it goes into art and person in their final lifetime about 100 years from now and shows how everything is connected and how it all fits together. But a lot of it, you know, reading back on it, a lot of it is surprisingly personal to me. I talk about, you know, Karen, my divorce, uh, mm-hmm. that happened, uh, a, uh, you know, person that I've met since then who is going to play prominently into uh, the third book, mm-hmm. and uh, how it, all three of those times are connected. And then it turns out that everything's connected, and you can't really separate one thing from anything else. And trials really are, but lessons presented once again, as the Course says, where, where you made a bad decision before, and now you can make a better one, and thus avoid the pain that your previous decision brought to you. And I'm paraphrasing, but that whole thing really does turn out to be true. I mean, if you don't accept a forgiveness lesson the first time, it will be presented to you again. It may not look exactly the same, but it's going to have the same content. It's going to have to be the same idea in general. And uh, so why not take advantage of as many forgiveness opportunities as you can now so that you don't have to yeah. go through the whole thing again. And that, that scenario you're describing, that would actually occur from lifetime to lifetime if it's not learned, correct? That's right. It carries over uh, into uh, other lifetimes, and uh, you know, they'll keep coming back. And they may even be with the same people. Those people may take a different form, but they're they're still the same mind. Mm-hmm. They're still the same, uh, you know, person. And uh, you know, you'll get another chance. And that's to why with that person. That's why the forgiveness practice, as as Jesus says, is will collapse time. You actually will save thousands of your years, possibly by by one forgiveness lesson that you learn perfectly. Yeah, I think that's true. Now, I don't go to many uh, cold places in the winter. Usually, I do come to Palu. <laughs> Uh, because uh, in the summer here, I go to Omega Institute, mm-hmm. and the, the two places don't allow you to appear within so many months of each other ah. because they, they don't you know, like the competition. Oh, good, I, good like thing they're they're you know open minded spirituality types <clears throat> with no competition. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm kidding. But uh, you know, of all the places like that, no, I'm not putting anybody down. But of all the places like that, my favorite is the one that I'm going to, and it just happens to be a warm place instead of a cold place. Ah. And that would be uh, The Crossings, which is in Austin, Texas. I've uh-huh. been there. This, this would be like uh, the sixth year in a row, I believe, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, this would be the sixth year in a row mm-hmm. that I've gone to The Crossings in Austin, Texas, and this year just happens to be on my birthday. Oh, wow, uh, cool. That'll be a nice it gift. It starts on uh, my birthday, the Friday, March the 6th. It starts on Friday night, mm-hmm. and then we do uh, all day Saturday and uh, half a day on Sunday. So it's really... It, like two days of work spread out over two and a half days. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's really a great place. And the reason I bring it up is because it's really one of my favorite venues to go to. 
Uh, it, it'll be warm. It's always warm there. Uh, it won't be too rainy because uh, it's not the summer. It's the perfect time of year to go there. And they have fantastic facilities. I mean, you have nice rooms uh, in cottages set aside. You have good food. You know, a lot of these places don't, don't let you eat chicken or, or fish <laughs> or anything. Man food. Like, like uh, here, I'm, you know, I'm just eating salad all weekend because I can't eat any of the other stuff that they have there. And, and so, so, our listeners, so our listeners will know, Gary really likes vegetables, don't you? <laughs> well, I do like some of them. Okay. You know, I, I can eat some of them, but uh, I'm definitely a guy who likes to have a steak. And, uh, you know, I love uh, seafood and, you know, even, uh, you know, chicken and stuff like that. And uh, I'm not a vegetarian. But there are certain vegetables and, and especially fruits that I really like. Mm-hmm. But uh, the crossings will let you have that stuff, and most of these other places won't because they, they just think that uh, it's so spiritual to be vegetarian, and that if you're not a vegetarian, uh, there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't subscribe to that theory. Uh, I think that uh, you know people should eat what they want to eat, and uh, I hate to say this, but nobody here on this uh, planet is going to live without something else dying. Yeah, we. we... Uh, it's like uh, you know, plants are alive too. Right. You know, and they have feelings too, which has been uh, well demonstrated. You know, so I think it's just kind of an illusion for people to think that they're getting away from something simply by uh, you know killing one thing that's alive instead of killing something else that's alive. You know, so uh, you know, I don't want to you know poop in anybody's Cheerios here, but uh, oh, whoa! <laughs> at the same time, I'm swearing uh, off cereal now. <laughs> At the same time, I think uh, people are well, like, kidding themselves, and what they really want to do is just forgive the whole thing. Yeah, you know? it's all the ego's game. Nothing on Earth or nothing in the universe, in the physical universe, nothing lives without, in one form or another, consuming something else. And in most cases, that involves killing it as far as the universe sees things. So that's the ego's game. There's no way to get past that except by just forgiving it all. That's right. And the crossings is a great place to do that, uh you know, I, I write about going there uh, for the first time. I, I remember the night before I went there for the first time, the Red Sox won the World Series Ooh. for the first time in like, you know, 86 years or something. Good omen. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, it's just a great facility. Uh, if anybody is interested, they can contact the crossing. They can get the contact information from my website. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of my favorite things that I do uh, all year. And believe me, when you go there... Uh, I mean, they have like a spa with a great swimming pool and jacuzzi, and you can do massages. And I like reflexology, but they work on your feet, mm-hmm. and they, uh, you know, do the toes and stuff. Oh, that really feels great. I love that and, stuff. Uh, you know, it's really cool. Uh, they have great food. Uh, we'll even let you have a glass of wine there if you want to. It's hey, like when. You'd like it there. Well, there, I would love it. They're they're following the path of Jesus, who who you know brought in fish for dinner and, and fed the multitudes, and and actually not only drank wine but made wine and made great wine. So there you go. That's right. I I had gotten a thing here from about this because uh, you just mentioned this before. So let me just make sure people know it's March sixth uh, through the eighth. The crossings and that uh, their website. I have that here on the note. It's www.thecrossingsaustin.com, and they can also go to your website, GaryRenard.com, and it says here special discounts on accommodations and ten percent off all spa treatments when people are going to your thing then in March. So boy, you can't afford not to go to this. That's right, they're offering uh, some deals, you know, because, you know, a lot of people, they're a little worried about the economy. Oh, yeah. And uh, so uh, a place like the Crossings is a good time to go because they'll offer a lot of deals uh, to people. And, uh, you know, it's a good thing. And also while you're there, if you want to check out Austin, uh, they have a great music scene. Ah, yeah, I've heard Austin, yeah. Austin City Limits, and, uh, yeah, they're supposed to be a really, really great town just to visit. It is. Uh, you know, people don't realize that Texas is very diverse. They they have kind of like this image of Texas as being all, all alike. Uh-huh. And uh, it's not. It's very diverse. Uh, I found places like Houston and, and Austin and uh, San Antonio uh, to be, like, really cool places. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you have really conservative places, too, and that that's diversity of it. But, uh, you know, I don't think that you can stereotype Texas. It's a big it's state. A very, yeah, it's a big place with a lot of different kinds of people. And uh, I've always had a good time there, and I've always uh, done very well there. So I'm really looking forward to going back to the crossing. It's, it's uh, one of the best places I go to, and, and they treat people really well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, always, you know, having to have something die in order for something else to live. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the subject of death, which isn't a very pleasant subject. Yeah, 
if I can, uh, let me just preface this real quickly, because I wanted to say this. You and I have discussed that we we're going to talk about this a bit today. Uh, for folks, I know you've made mention at the DU Yahoo group and uh, also in one of your uh, emails uh, c- came out about your uh, very close friend Dan's passing recently, which is, I know, a sad tale. But I'm just going to let I haven't talked to you too much about it because I want to hear it right now as well as everybody else. Yeah, I, I knew Dan for like 41 years, mm. you know, so, uh, and he was, uh, like a brother to me. We actually, you know, lived with my parents together, oh. uh, for, uh, oh, two or three years, you know, and like he was a member of his family. So, uh, on top of that, he was a great singer mm-hmm. and we played together in bands. I'd say out of those 41 years, we were in bands together for about 22 of those years. Yeah. And uh, including the last 10 years that I was in this band called Hush, which was a very successful band. And Dan was Dan could sing like uh, Roy Orbison. I mean, he was just uh, a great singer. Wow. People would, you know, come from a long, long ways just to hear him sing. And we had a great band. We had great friends. Uh, but then we had a bit of a falling out for a little while. You know, there was a little bit of, of a falling out where uh, I didn't think they treated me fairly uh, financially, and we were having... A uh, bit of an argument going on, and uh, I ended up actually suing him oh. for uh, a while. It didn't last too long, because uh, if you look at the beginning of the book, uh, The Disappearance of the Universe, I talk about how I was suing this friend and former business partner who I felt had treated me unfairly. Mm-hmm. Then what happened was I came to the decision, and this is a very important part of anybody's spiritual path. Uh, you make decisions that determine you know, what direction you're going to go in. And the decision that I make, which you can see right at the beginning of the Disappearance of the Universe, is that I want to remove conflict from my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually decided that I wanted to remove conflict from my life. I didn't realize what a tall order that was <laughs> at the time, but that was what I wanted. I was sick of conflict. I was sick of uh, not being at peace. I said the same thing that millions of people have said when they change uh, paths. You know, the idea that there's got to be a better way uh, than this. Uh, Bill Sedford said that. I said it, uh, but we're not the only ones. I mean, you know, any drunk who was uh, face down in the gutter who lived to tell about it said the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's got to be a better way than this. And that's uh, pretty much what I was saying right there at the Disappearance of the Universe. So what I did was, uh, I, you know, I wrote to Dan, you know, and uh, I told him, look, uh, this sucks. Uh, I want to remove conflict from my life. I'm dropping my lawsuit against you. I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm going to let it go. And uh, he called me like, you know, two days later and thanked me. Mm. Now, it was just after that that uh, Art and Persa started to appear to me. Ah, so your decision preceded your, your connecting with Art and Persa. That's right. The decision comes first. Ah. You know, I really believe that. People make decisions, and then the spiritual path flows out of that decision. It's like you decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to uh, be more peaceful. I'm going to uh, center myself. I'm going to find out the truth, however you put it. It's your decision to do that. You know, the mind's decision at the level of the mind that determines, you know, what direction or, or what path you're going to you know, going. I, it's true that the script is written, but it's also true that there are different dimensions and different paths that right. go down. And uh, that decision, you know, not only uh, brought art in person to me, but uh, it completely changed, you know, the kind of like uh, relationship that I had with so many people. In fact, within six months of art in person appearing to me, Dan and I, and this is a guy who I'd been suing a few months before that, Within six months of art in person, Dan and I were actually doing the workbook of A Course in Miracles together. Wow. You know, the, I mean, you know, the two of us are now doing the workbook of A Course in Miracles together. Wow. So, you know, that shows you how quickly things can change. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so we went back to being best friends again. We, you know, we, yeah, we had a little bit of a falling out for a while, but it didn't last. And uh, we had so much in common, and we knew so much, and we had been through so much together. And uh, this is about, oh the middle of 1993, so uh, it's almost 16 years, and, uh, you know, so for that uh, 15 and a half or so years uh, that Dan and I had from the workbook on, we got to share A Course of Miracles with each other, and he was uh, a great student of A Course of Miracles. He understood it. He understood disappearance, and uh, I had to go through a lot of spaces in a short period of time because I, I found out that he had passed away 
and I didn't know that it was going to happen. I talked to him four days before, and he would not let on to anybody how sick he was. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, because I don't know, what, what actually was the cause of his death? Yeah, he died of liver cancer, mm. and uh, he had lost like 70 pounds wow. in the previous few months, and he wouldn't tell anybody. Wow. You know, the only person who really knew was his partner, uh, Elaine, who he's been living with for the last five years, and she's a wonderful uh, woman, and, you know, Dan was really happy with her, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I feel good about that, but mm-hmm. uh, she was the only one that he would tell about it, and uh, he wouldn't let anybody come to see him. Uh, he spent the last four days in the hospital. He was in intensive care. He wouldn't let anybody see him because he didn't want people to see him uh, having just lost 70 pounds. Uh, yeah. He wanted them to remember him the way that he was. And, uh, you know, so uh, what happened is I got to talking about four days before. He told me he was sick, but he t- didn't let on how serious it was. He pretended that, oh, it was going to get better and he was going to do things to you know, to make it better, but I think he knew better. Yeah. And then four days later, I'm in Sedona, Arizona, and I'm speaking at a conference there. I have a keynote talk at this, uh, you know, conference uh, called Finding the Gift and Shift. I get a call from Elaine, and she says, well, Dan's uh, in the ICU, and uh, it looks like, uh, you know, three of his major organs have failed, and they're mm-hmm. going to cut off the life support today. <laughs> and oh, boy. You know, I, just, I just couldn't believe it, because, you know... Here's this guy, you know, we talked, uh, we had long conversations on the phone. I, I would get to see him once in a while, because he was still in Massachusetts and I was in Maine. But we we talked on the phone, we did the course together, you know, and uh, now all of a sudden, I, I see that I'm never going to be able to talk to him again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it brought up all kinds of things. I think the natural reaction, you know, I did cry that day, and I ended up even crying a little bit on stage when I told people about this. But uh, after a week or so, and, uh, you know, talking to mutual friends and, and relatives and, and all these musicians that we used to work with, all who all came out to, you know, Dan's wake and everything, he, he wouldn't have an, a regular funeral. He, he allowed a wake. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, mainly because, you know, all these musicians would want to get together. Sounds more like an Irish wake, I'm guessing. Yeah, really. Yeah, a lot of music and laughter. Yeah, there was a lot of shock too because uh, you know we all thought of Dan's being so healthy and so right. uh, you know so full of life. It's like uh, you know everybody wanted to be like him, and now here here he is gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so it was a rough week for me, uh, very rough. And then uh, I started reading this section, you know, because I was you know I was looking at Jesus for help, and uh, I started reading this section in the course, which is in the manual for teachers called uh, "What Is Death." And it's just two pages, but it really, you know, really hits the nail on the head, you know, about, uh, you know, what death is. Of course, there's this uh, quote and disappearance. Uh, it's on the, uh, you know, the section uh, of the course that's called uh, Notes on Raising the Dead. And uh, there, there are a lot of quotes in the course that will just, uh, you know, kind of like blow your mind. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know what, I think I'm going to uh, I'm going to read that quote. He uh, goes, uh Embodiment of fear, the host of sin, God of the guilty, and the Lord of all illusions and deceptions, does the thought of death seem mighty? And uh, Arden and Percy talk a lot about death in that that chapter. It's the next to the last chapter in Disappearance. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you put that chapter together with this two-page section in A Course in Miracles uh, called What is Death?, uh, it's like question 27 in, in the Manual for Teachers. You get to see how, you know, the only way that I could grieve for Dan, the only way that I could really, you know, be so upset would be if I thought he was a body, if I thought that was him. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I know better, you know, and so did Dan. And uh, we both knew that he was not a body and that that's not him. And what he really is will go on forever. And what do we really want for our uh, loved ones anyway? Do we want them to be these temporary, fragile vessels that can just fall apart and die? Mm-hmm. Or do we want them to be something that we're going to be with forever? It's something that we can't lose, something that uh, is this love that will go on and on. Uh, endless love is something that uh, we can experience. And I started to, you know, feel a lot different after a week or so. The first week was rough. And, and I'm not telling people that they shouldn't grieve or have a funeral or, uh, you know, go through 
a period where they feel bad because there's a part of you that is going to miss them. But I think that if you know how to practice forgiveness, then what's going to happen is that the grieving period is going to get shorter. Yeah. Uh, I think that, uh, I remember when my father passed away, I felt bad for about two years. Uh, when my mother passed away, about three years later, I had been on a spiritual path, which was pretty much just starting, but at least I'd been on it for about a year, and I had a thought system, uh, and this was the S training at that time, and I had a thought system that helped me to look at the world completely differently. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that grieving period lasted about a year, maybe about half the time. Yeah. Uh, now, here's a guy I've known for 41 years, uh, one, one of the most important, maybe one of the three or four most important people uh, in my life so far, and uh, that grieving period lasted about a week. <laughs> you know, so it's like, uh, it, I'm not saying that you shouldn't uh, have a grieving period, right? I, but I think that as time goes on, and you, especially if you do A Course in Miracles, then what happens is, is that uh, the grieving period gets shorter, and you don't end up in the kind of depression that a lot of people end up in uh, if they keep that grieving period going indefinitely. You've got you've get to uh, you know, snap back sometime. Right. And you know, that that's what you're saying. I think I think it's really true on an emotional level, even more than a mental or intellectual level. It's not just that you get it, but the feeling is there. And I know you and I have talked a little bit. My dad died when I was much younger, and I was emotionally really wrecked from that for, for years, as, as you said. Uh, my mom died, you know, about eight or nine years ago at this point, and so I was already very active, in, in my case, with the course. And, it, you know, it just as you say, it, it wasn't that big a deal because I don't feel disconnected from her. I still feel that connection and that love is still there. So, you know, I think that's, that's you know, what you're saying, and it's really true. Yeah, I really think that that happens uh, with a lot of course students. Uh, you start to think of people as being what they really are, which is this unlimited love. Mm-hmm. And uh, you think of them as being less and less as bodies. Right. And, of course, the way the course works, the more you think of them as being spirit instead of the body, the more you're going to experience yourself as being spirit. Mm-hmm. instead of the body. Because it always comes back to the body. I just want to read this sentence from uh, that section in the manual. It says, The reality of death is firmly rooted in the belief that God's Son is a body. Mm-hmm. And if God created bodies, death would indeed be real. But God would not be loving. You know, there is no point at which the contrast between the perception of the real world and that of the world of illusions becomes more sharply evident. Death is indeed the death of God, if he is love. And now his own creation must stand in fear of him. He is not father, but destroyer. He is not creator, but avenger. You know, terrible his thoughts and fearful his image. You know, so it's like, uh, you know, you really can't compromise on an idea like that. It also says, and the last to be overcome will be death. Mm. You know, that's a quote from the Bible, so... You know, both the Bible and the Course in Miracles are saying that, that the last to be overcome is death. Uh, I think that if you overcome that, then uh, pretty much at the same time you overcome your fear of God, because the fear of death is connected with God. You, you notice that the last two obstacles to peace in the Course are the fear of death and the fear of God. Well, it's like uh, the reason that we fear death is because we fear God. People aren't connected to that consciously. So they don't understand that uh, all the things that they're upset about and all the things they're worried about can really be traced back to the fact that they're upset over the separation from God, and, and all fears are uh, connected with that. And uh, you know, it says, uh, all dreams will end with this one. You know, this is salvation's final goal, the end of all illusions. And in death are all illusions born. You know, what can be born of death and still have life? So, you know, but what is born of God and still can die? Mm. You know, so it's uh, the last paragraph. It says, you know, it says, "Teacher of God, your one assignment to be stated thus: accept no compromise in which death plays a part. You know, do not believe in cruelty, nor let attack conceal the truth from you. What seems to die has but been misperceived and carried to illusion. Now it becomes your task to let the illusion be carried to the truth." Mm. You know, and I love that part of the course because it's like, uh, you know, everybody gives truth to their illusions. Mm-hmm. You 
you know, okay, he's a body, he really died, you know, I'm giving truth to that, and if you're giving truth to that, well, you're going to suffer, and you're not helping him in any year. You know, but what if uh, you can let your illusions, you know, go, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, what if they can be carried to the truth? What if instead of giving uh, truth to our illusions, we can give our illusions away to the Holy Spirit, to the truth? Then, okay, he's not a body. You know, he's spirit. Spirit goes on forever. This body that I appear to be in, even though I know I'm not really in it, but it looks that way. Yeah. You know, it's an optical illusion. And it's like, uh, you know, that's not going to last forever either. But the part of me that is looking at it, the mind, uh, will go on. And that will be eventually uh, a thing that activates spirit completely so that, uh, you know, I will experience completely being spirit. And once you're there then you don't miss anybody because everybody's there, because that's where perfect oneness lies. Mm-hmm. You know? So uh, that section ends by saying, and what is the end of death? Nothing but this, the realization that the Son of God is guiltless, now and forever. Nothing but this. But do not let yourself forget, it is not less than this. Mm. You know, so, so it's like, uh, you know, someone's talking to me once, I like, you know, keep talking about forgiveness. And, uh, you know, they, they were saying something like, uh, forgiveness. And, uh, I said, uh, nothing more than that. And I said, uh, nothing less than that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, forgiveness is so important. And we're, that's where you see that, that the Son of God is guiltless. And it's saying, you know, it's the end of death, nothing but just the realization that the Son of God is guiltless now and forever. Well, the way to get your own guiltlessness is to see it in others. So uh, you get that the, the Son of God, which is all people, uh, is guiltless, and that's the end of death, because eventually you're going to experience it for yourself, and if you get in touch with uh, the fact that you're innocent and your guiltlessness is healed by the Holy Spirit, eventually you're going to experience Spirit, which is God, and uh, the fear is gone, and when that fear is gone, the fear of death is gone, and the whole ego framework, the whole ego thought system falls apart. You know, it gets, uh, you know, more and more to the point where it's almost like a, a puff of smoke that you can just blow away. Right. You know, and uh, it, it starts uh, getting less heavy. And, uh, you know, all kinds of things come as a result of that. Even uh, an ability to feel uh, less pain as you go along. We, we should uh, talk about pain and suffering sometime, maybe in the next episode, because it's kind of like connected to this. Yeah, that'll be an uplifting show. Yeah, but I mean, no, I'm just way. kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, no, it is. It is connected because it's all that. It's the belief in the body that if that's what I am, and the body can suffer pain and discomfort, which we all know, then that's the reality. And if you believe that, there's no getting out of it. And this is the total reversal of that thought. I also wanted to say, as, as the course says many times, and you just brought it up here, it's the experience that transforms us, not the intellectual learning, but the learning leads to an experience which then we do perceive as actually real, and that's where the real change takes place. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, the reason I brought up the pain and the suffering was because, you know, in time of death, obviously, somebody who we love dies, we suffer. Sure. Oh, yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, these are bad economic times. A lot of people are feeling pain. You know, a lot of people are suffering. And a question that I like to ask near the beginning of my workshops, and I'm, I'm actually starting a three-day workshop uh, in about an hour and a half here. Uh, at Kripalu, and uh, a question that I like to ask at the beginning of my workshops is this, you know, uh, look at the problems that you have, look, look at all the problems that the world has, uh, and here's a Course in Miracles that says, the guiltless mind cannot suffer. You know, so my question is this, what if there were no pain or suffering associated with the problems that you think you have? You know, like uh, people think they have economic problems or uh, health problems. Uh, but what if there was no pain? Would it still be a problem? Hmm. And the answer is no, not really. Right. Because it's not really the problem that's the problem. It's the pain. Mm-hmm. It's the suffering. That's the problem. You know, it's not the fact that the landlord comes to the, you know, the door and asks for the rent and you don't have it. That's not the problem. 
the problem is the way that you feel. Right, right. When he comes to the door and, and, and asks for the rent, and, and you don't have it. You're talking about uh, emotional or even spiritual pain, not just physical. So any kind of suffering like this, yeah, that's the, that's always the problem. If it weren't for that, it wouldn't be a problem. That's right. And a lot of pain that we have in our lives, maybe even the, most of it, is uh, you know emotional pain mm-hmm. and psychological pain. Uh, and yeah, physical pain shows up too, and we don't know that uh, that's psychological also. It's like Darwin versus say, you know. Uh, pain is not really a physical process, it's a mental process, which is something we can get into. But once you do, you can start to undo that whole thing that makes you feel bad and get to a point where you realize, well, wait a minute, uh, it's not what happens that's important. It's the way that I feel about it. It's the way that I experience it, you know, mm-hmm. that's important. So, uh, I mean, you know, to take an extreme example, and this would be a master, but it would be possible for a master to die of cancer and not feel any pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had a couple of uh, situations uh, in the last few months where I should have felt physical pain and didn't. And uh, we can talk about that sometime. I was talking with Judy Scotch, the, uh, you know, the, the original publisher of A Course in Miracles, and right. she was talking about how a person who she knew, uh, somebody hit this person really hard right in the face. Mm. And this person, uh, you know, went down to the ground and, you know, it was assaulted, but the strange thing was that person uh, did not feel any pain. So there's no pain there. And I really think that what can happen over the course of uh, being a long-time Course Miracle student is that just like things happen that would have upset you emotionally, and you can have this piece where uh, something that you knew would have upset you before it doesn't, mm-hmm. the same thing can happen time from time. And, and I think that... It takes uh, mastery before you get to the point where it's uh, this way all the time. Right. But even on the way, there will be times when you can uh, be uh, injured or slightly injured physically where you should have felt physical pain and you don't. Mm -hmm. And uh, when that happens, it's uh, a remarkable experience because you realize, hey, just like this is working on the unconscious level on that so-called emotional pain, it's also working on the so-called physical pain, because they're both the same anyway. I just didn't realize it. Right. And uh, you can actually get to a point where you feel less and less pain, less and less suffering. Then you realize, hey, you know, you know, I could be peaceful regardless of what appears to be happening. Yes. And that's real freedom. Because now your your peace and your happiness is not dependent upon outside sources. Now, now it truly is coming from within. And it's something that can be available to you no matter what appears to be going on in the world. And that's real freedom, because now, uh, you, you know, depending on somebody else's mood or what somebody else does or, or the moves that they make uh, or the things that they try to do to you or if they try to hurt you or, you know, things like that. Or if you get an accident and, you, you know, everybody says, you know, what a doofus, and, you know, you know uh, or what, what an enlightened being. He died of cancer. He couldn't have been enlightened. Or anything. Well, what if he uh, died of cancer and didn't feel any pain? I yeah. would call that uh, pretty enlightening. Oh yeah. Well, everybody is going to die. There's no, you know, no one here gets out alive. So it doesn't matter. Even even an enlightened being, you're going to have to set the body aside because the body just runs out its clock. And so, it, for for whatever reason it is, it's going to die. That has nothing to do with your spiritual reality. And I think the more you get to learn that, the less concerned you are about the body. As you say, it takes a, a, a level of mastery. But it, I believe it is limitless that you can have any any difficulty i mean we always use jesus as the example if you can be tortured to death and your last thoughts are of forgiveness you've got it made then you know absolutely yeah you know we had a a, a couple of questions we had promised uh, we were going to do some questions from the last time and uh, yeah, we can I, get into that uh, that other topic uh, uh you know, uh, next time, but it's oh, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, if you <coughs> were me. in a position where you couldn't feel any pain and couldn't suffer, and that's really what the Course is saying, that the more you have the guilt removed from your unconscious mind, you practice forgiveness, you do your one responsibility, which is to accept the atonement for yourself by practicing forgiveness, because the Course says that forgiveness is the means of the atonement. You know, you do that one thing, the Holy Spirit takes care of the rest. The Holy Spirit is actually healing your mind as you go along, removing that unconscious mind from your, you know, that unconscious guilt from your mind. Mm -hmm. And it's like as you go along, your ability to suffer, your ability to feel pain is actually diminished. And, uh, you know, that's a great subject because it gives people hope that they can be happy and peaceful. And it doesn't have to mean that, oh, everything that happens
happens has to be good. You know, things don't always have to go right. Right. You know, and, and I'm not saying that they won't. Sometimes they will. That's duality. Uh, and sometimes things may go really good, and I'm certainly in favor of that. But my peace of mind and my happiness is not dependent on that. That's the point. We can be happy regardless of what appears to be happening. Right. And that's uh, one of the great things about A Course in Miracles. Uh, you don't need, uh, you know, a strong economy. You don't need uh, everything to be going hunky-dory, you know, in order for you to be happy. And so we can get into that uh, a little bit more in the future. But, yeah, I did want to answer a couple of questions about this subject, sure. Yeah, and uh, I was going to say something else. It'll come to me later after we've stopped recording, and then it'll be worth nothing to anybody. But, no, we, we had discussed uh, doing some questions. I knew we were going to be talking about this subject area. So I went back and pulled out a couple of questions that are sort of related to this so we can kind of keep this theme going, which I think will make sense. Uh, so let's just jump into this first one here. And we'll also we'll have you do a, a, a closing commentary at the end here, too, to kind of wrap things up for us. And I appreciate you talking about this. I know a lot of people probably feel the same way that they're saying, you know, you're always very honest and upfront about things in your life. And and that's great as, as examples for everyone else and me to, to hear. So we appreciate that. I know that this was a, a tough time for you. But, I you know, I also know that you've been getting through it pretty well. Losing a lifetime friend is, is one of the worst things we can go through. And, and you're handling it wonderfully. There's the example of taking it from a course perspective yeah so let me uh, f- uh, go into our first question here this one uh, on the, on a similar topic here a little a little bit of a different twist on this so i'm anxious to hear what you say this comes from diane uh, oh, yeah. thank you for saying that oh. well no <laughs> it's absolutely busy. true i was so busy listening to you and <laughs> i just said yeah, <laughs> yeah I should say thank <laughs> we've said this before but uh so people will know we really don't do a lot of pre-production or rehearsal before we do these uh these recordings so a lot of times we don't we don't know where we're each going to go on this so it is very very real and natural but i mean it that way that uh, you know uh, we hear this constantly i get it in emails from people they'll say you know please tell gary how much i appreciate his honesty about talking about things in his own life and really not sugarcoating it so you know it really comes through and uh, you know I, I think you already know that but it, it you know you, you should hear it even yeah. more gary well, you know, sometimes we'll do these podcasts and we'll, we'll talk for about, you know, two, three minutes. What do you want to talk about? And then, you know, I'll just say, well, you know, I should talk about Dan because, you know, that happened. And, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll, that's our extensive rehearsal. You Pretty know, much. Like, uh, yeah. What do you want to talk about? And, and once in a while, uh, Gene will say something, what do you want to talk about? And I'll say, uh, I'll say, I don't know. And he'll say, okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, spirit guides you. It really does, you know. So we, I don't think we've ever failed to have have something worthwhile. Maybe we have, you know, more garbage than than good stuff on some shows. Uh, not on this one, though. All right, so let's let's. I know Diane is now waiting. Get to my question, uh, but this uh, some of these came in a while ago, so I appreciate your patience here. Uh, Diane's question says, "Hi, Gary. My question pertains to Artin. You said that his last lesson in life was to learn how to live without Persa, because going back to the book, Persa had passed away before Artin did." Um, and then she continues, can you go into more detail about this? I recently lost someone who I feel very connected to. I can still feel his presence, even though he's no longer in this illusionary world. In doing the course and striving to get home, I feel a lot of resistance to giving up my identity because of him. I can intellectually give up just about everything in my illusory life but this. Part of me is unwilling to make the commitment to do the course and follow it through to a successful completion because I don't want to be separate from him. I know I have to do this, but I resist. Any thoughts you can share would be helpful. And thanks so much for helping me and many others gain clarity with A Course in Miracles. That's from Diane. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, situation. What do you say there, Gary? Yeah, it's like um, the ego's number one desire is to convince you that you're a body. Mm. And we're going to have all kinds of uh, what the Course is called unconscious resistance. We're going to have all kinds of resistance uh, to giving up the idea of being a body. The way that uh, your ego right now is clinging to that idea of being a body is by making him a body. You know, and it's kind of like if you could give that up, then you would be giving up your own identity almost. Now, that's something that's very threatening uh, to the ego, and the ego will come up with a thousand different tricks and a thousand different ways to convince us that we are bodies. Uh, you remember the quote that we just used from the teacher's manual, you know, about how, uh, you know, death is the central theme in the... In the you know, dreaming of the world. Right. You know, it's like, uh, you know, and uh, what makes death uh, so central to the whole thing is the idea that we're bodies. If uh, you get away from that idea, then death means nothing. What is it that dies? What is it that we miss? What is it that uh, we want to talk to now and we can't talk to them anymore? It's always coming back to 
connected to a body, mm-hmm. to the idea of, of it being a body. And the resistance that uh, you're speaking of is something that comes up because it's really death to the ego. It's not death to you, it's death to the ego. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ego likes this idea of separation in bodies, wants to keep it going. Uh, it's, it's the whole idea of individual existence, personal identity, that the ego wants to keep going. So they trick in the book that the ego will come up with, uh, or can come up with, to convince you that you're a body, it will. And uh, that's one of them, just the resistance to giving up you know, that idea. So I think that uh, the antidote to that is to think of that person as not being a body, think of that person as being what they really are, which is spirit, which is going to go on forever. And if they're spirit, then your unconscious mind will translate it to mean that you're spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, because of that, uh, you know, law of the mind from the Course that we quote many times, but you can't say it enough. You know, as you see him, you'll see yourself. Right. Well, as you think of him, you'll think of yourself. So uh, what you need to do is just give up that whole idea of him being a body. I'm not saying it's easy. I've, I've never said that A Course in Miracles uh, is easy. In fact, it's hard. Uh, it may be simple, but it's not easy. Yeah. It says that it's simple, but uh, you know the reason for that is because of that choice that needs to be made between those two things. In the Course, the body is the great symbol of separation. You know, and uh, spirit, you know, which is uh, nothing less than God, is the symbol of reality. So what we're choosing between is just two things, only one of them is real, but whichever one we choose to think about another person or see in another person that is what we're going to believe we are, ultimately. So uh, the question is, uh, not only what you, uh, what would you want him to be, but it's like, uh, you know, there's uh, a chapter, you know, that actually uh, starts off the third book, which you'll see, you know, and uh, it's called, What Would You Rather Be? You know, so would you rather be, you know, a body that can die, or would you rather be spirit that goes on forever? Mm-hmm. And that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. That's when the Course says, choose once again. You know, choose once again what you would have him be, knowing that every decision you make will establish your own identity, as you will see it and believe that it is. It's always going to come down to that decision. And yes, there is tremendous unconscious resistance at times to making that decision, because it's very threatening to the ego. It's actually death to the ego instead of you. And... uh that's why, you know, the Course says you got to persevere, be vigilant, you know, you got to uh, keep going for it. But if you do, then eventually uh, the ego starts to break down and your experience starts to change, and then it actually does get easier uh, to choose spirit instead of the body. So it also, it sounds like you're saying that, that a lot of the uh, the troubles that we have on, on, let's call it on this side, when when someone we love has passed on, we still think of them in some ways with some kind of a body identification. So we're afraid of losing that link, even if we gave up our own human body identification. But in reality, it, so even though we know that they're no longer in their body, which has died, and we know that they're still existing as spirit, but we still have somewhat of a body identification problem, which is why we have this reluctance to let go. Is that, is that about right? That's right. Uh, and, you know, we may have, uh, you know, pleasant memories that we uh, cling to, there's nothing wrong with that, but when we do, uh, you know, it's kind of like we're keeping that person to this image that we have of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, even in those cases, eventually what you want to do is you want to kind of like release that person to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, let them go, let that bodily image go, and start to think of them as being nothing less than the Holy Spirit, being right. nothing less than all of it. Uh, not part of it, but all of it, this right. perfect oneness with God that the Course describes. And when we release that or anything to the Holy Spirit, we should know that we're not giving up anything since the Holy Spirit is our reality as well. Exactly, that's a good point, because, yeah. uh, you know, then we end up being exactly the same as that person, mm-hmm. and uh, we're even closer to them than we could possibly be as uh, seemingly separate bodies. Right. So uh, it's actually a closer experience that you're having with that person uh, if you become spirit, because that's what that person is, too. You're actually becoming one with them. You're actually joining with them uh, in a way that isn't possible uh, in the temporary physical world, because the joining that we're talking about now is something that is actually permanent. Mm-hmm. And so once again, on, in, in the Holy Spirit's way, in the Holy Spirit's plan, we give up nothing, and in, in actuality, we gain everything. I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I think right now I just have time for one more question because uh, i got to work, start my workshop in an hour and uh, i got to eat dinner and, and get ready 
and run some errands. Okay. Between now. <laughs> we'll do one more. And, you know, we we have, as I said, I pulled out uh, several questions on this topic. Uh, if on our next podcast we're going to talk a little bit about the, the suffering and how we perceive things like that, uh, we, we can just keep going. We'll, yeah. we'll follow through on some of these as well as other ones in our next one because they're, they're related. So we'll have a little bit of an ongoing theme from one show to the next here. So that'll work out. Good. Sure. Yeah. Let me do one. It's a quick one here. So I'll throw this in here for you. This comes from Brenda. Uh, she said, I've listened to your audiobooks over and over, by the way, and each time I pick up on something new. Thank you for these books, books as well as audiobooks. So there. Hey, and I'm on one of them. But anyway, here's here's Brenda's question. Gary, when we're on the other side, we were just talking about, you know, as as and I don't know if you want to go into this for a second. I'm just thinking that we have a the, the the sort of the duality issue of we seem to be alive in a human form when we die we still continue to exist. Now, for those who, who believe, as we do, that that, there, that the one human lifetime is not it, there's some connection between those, and you are somewhere, or you seem to be somewhere between those, as people talk about the other side, when someone's not in the earth plane, in the physical universe, but they still exist. So the question is, when we are on the other side and have practiced forgiveness on earth, will we still be able to practice forgiveness? Does Jesus still give us help to escape the illusion even when, or during the time, we seem to be on the other side. That's from Brenda. That's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Uh, the overwhelming amount of progress that you will make spiritually is going to be on what you would call this side. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's where the script is written, uh, in a sense where you actually feel that you're in a physical body, and it just seems so real. Mm-hmm. And that, once again, is the ego's number one play, to convince you that you're a body. Now, what you have with, uh, you know, the in-between life there, as Arden and Persa call it, uh, or what some people call the other side, you know, Arden and Persa said, well, you know, it's really just two sides of the same illusory coin, because neither one is true. Uh, the difference is, is that on the other side, you have more of a weightless feeling. You don't have to breathe. I describe it uh, in the next book, because Arden and Persa took me on a little tour ah. of uh, the in-between life, and I actually, you know, Got to, they showed me around the universe and stuff. It was pretty wild. And uh, I won't say the whole thing. At the end of that was a mind glory. Mm. But uh, it's like, um, it, yeah, it's a seemingly better experience for most people because you don't have that heaviness and that pain that's associated with being in a body. Which is why, you know, we've talked about the near-death experience. That's why people report it as being so cool because it's like it feels really good to not have that pain. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, it doesn't last, and eventually, uh, you know, there's something in the mind that starts to catch up with you that makes you want to hide from it because you're, you know, so, uh, someone has a little bit of guilt in your mind, and uh, you end up coming back, you know, and seemingly reincarnating into another body, and uh, that's what keeps it going. That's why it's essential to have all that unconscious guilt that's in the mind cleaned out of there by the Holy Spirit. And the best and fastest way to do it is the kind of forgiveness that we practice where, you know, you're coming from a position of cause and not effect. You're, you're not forgiving people because they really did something. Uh, you're forgiving them because, you know, nothing's happening. That's why forgiveness is justified. And it's like uh, by doing that, then that even changes the experience of the other side. Hmm. Uh, Jesus alludes to that in the Song of Prayer pamphlet. He says, you know, and this is what death should be. And, and he actually talks about how the experience of death for you will be different if you practice forgiveness in this lifetime. It's uh, what he calls a higher prayer. It's uh, at one point, you know, all, all these uh, things that we do in this lifetime in practicing forgiveness, he's talking about death uh, in the Song of Prayer pamphlet, and he says, and then it is not hard to see that the gifts that we gave were saved for us. You know, every act of forgiveness that you do in this lifetime is actually going to you. And it will even change your experience of death, the experience of that in-between time. Even if you do come back, it'll be a much different experience, a much better experience. Uh, you know, so the way that you're going to experience that in-between life, what's going to seemingly happen there, and how are you going to feel? You're actually setting that up now. Once you die, it's too late, because it's a very automatic kind of a phase. You know, uh, the Course teaches that the direction of the mind is determined by which thought system it adheres to. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're practicing uh, forgiveness, your mind is going in the right direction. It's going back to God. If you're not practicing forgiveness, your mind is going in the wrong direction. That makes that in-between life experience uh, a lot more unpleasant, where if you uh, practice forgiveness, 
And, uh, you know, you can even remember in this lifetime that it's actually going to you. Uh, and then it will. It's like uh, you actually get to experience that you're the one who has been forgiven. And it's a great experience. And you can have experiences like that while you appear to be in a body, but you will continue to have experiences like that even when it doesn't look like you're in a body. Because uh-huh. uh, the experience is just so much better. And, uh, you know, you're moving along so much faster. Uh, but, uh, you know, the short answer to that question is that you you want to do your forgiveness lessons now because, uh, you know, you don't really do that much uh, of decision-making in the in-between lifetime. I know a lot of people like to glorify, you know, I'm making all these, you know, sacred contracts and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. You know, all that was done right at the beginning. You know, all that was done when, when you had what, um, you know, we would call it the Big Bang or whatever, that was it. You know, everything that was ever going to happen... Every lifetime, every in-between lifetime, every, everything was determined right then. You know, and all this stuff about spiritualizing, uh, why we come back and all that, uh, it's not true. Uh, it's pretty, and it's nice to listen to, but it's just a story. And so the script uh, is written kind of even in terms of the other side of the in-between life. That That is part of the script that's written. It kind of sounds, from what you're saying, like uh, that, that experience is a little more like being in neutral. You're not really driving one way or the other. You're just kind of there. You're, you're still experiencing something, but the decisions are made at this side that, that really determine how that's going to go. That's right. The direction that the mind will go in is determined by the decisions that we make now, which is why Art and Purcell went out of their way to point out, you know, at the beginning, you look at that quote at the beginning of the se- second chapter in uh, Your Immortal Reality. It says, uh, you know, freedom of decision is your one remaining power mm-hmm. as a prisoner of this world. You can decide to see it right. You know, and de- seeing it right, obviously, is right-mindedness, forgiveness, you know, that's your real power in this world. And if you take advantage of it, it does change uh, the path that you're going to go down. There are, there are many different scenarios within a sixth system. I'm not saying that you're changing the script, but I'm saying that that decision is the one decision that you can make that can make all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And if you choose forgiveness, you're doing a lot more than you think. You're doing something that uh, is uh, just amazing, that not too many people in the history of the world have done but that will do you a world of good, and you'll even experience it during that uh, in-between lifetime as a better experience. Right. So that, that, that clears it up. I've always wondered about that myself, so this is a good question to bring that out and help clarify things. Definitely. I know you have to roll. Um, I think we've kind of covered it all. We we're going to do a closing comment, but I think uh, what your content in that last answer was a pretty good content for us to close out on. Uh, so once again, you know, a lot of times because people are interested, usually we'll wrap things up. I'll, I'll do my little thing at the end, and then we'll come back and actually personally say goodbye to each other. But this time I know you got to roll. So we'll say goodbye right on the air, right while we're here, and then I'll wrap things up. But thanks, Gary. And, and I want to say that on behalf of, because I, as I say, I hear it from a lot of our listeners um, uh, in terms terms of you know gratitude to you for being so upfront about things that are very personal in nature uh and for me personally because i appreciate hearing it and i this is a good subject area for all of us not just for you and me and our listeners but for anyone because we're all in the same seeming human condition and these are uh you know the sadness of losing loved ones is something that that tears at us all so thanks very much for uh, for handling that so well and we'll continue to touch on this on our next show as well well thanks buddy I, i really appreciate it and uh I appreciate you being uh, such a great buddy. Ah, well, uh, you too. I love you, man. You know that. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's good to have the close friends that we do have while we seem to be here, even though we know that ultimately we, uh, we, we're not going to really lose them. But it, it's still tough until we've ourselves achieved that level of mastery where we're beyond any kind of suffering, as you spoke of earlier. Thanks a lot, and uh, you have a good one. We'll talk soon. Stay warm up there. Don't slip on the ice, and uh, practice your yoga lessons. (laughs) We'll talk soon. Thanks, bud. Okay, thanks. Bye. The Gary Renard Podcast is produced by Enlighten Up Creations and presented by Forgiveness.tv. Verbal content of this program is copyright 2009 Gene Bogart and Gary Renard, or Gary Renard and Gene Bogart. For more information about Gary and his activities and upcoming events, go to his website, www.garyrenard.com. And of course, you can find out more about both of us and the podcast series at our website, forgiveness.tv. This is Gene Bogart saying two things. First of all, for those who have paid attention this far, remember earlier I made a comment in my intro about love has forgotten no one. 
And the answer is I say it that way because that's just the way I naturally talk. I'm serious. Ask anybody who knows me. But the main thing we'd like to leave you with is our sincere thanks for joining us on this and every podcast. We'll look forward to joining you on the next episode. And in the meantime, remember that no matter what the situation or question, forgiveness is always the answer. 